We all want to feel better, be happier, and have more freedom. And there are endless resources at our fingertips. But wading through a sea of self-help books, podcasts, and workshops takes more time than anyone has. Except me. That's my job. I curate and translate the latest, most effective personal development wisdom to help you elevate your personal experience and improve the way you show up for others. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is Self-Helpful. The second and better half of life and how to transition from innovation to wisdom. Many of you listening to this show are at or nearing the midpoint of life. I'm a little past that midpoint. The rest of you will be there before you know it. This show is geared to blow away a myth and massive problem we live with in our culture. We churn and grind away to achieve and provide. And as we age, we just try to buckle down and keep it going as long as we can or as long as we feel we have to. This is a message to say, whoa, stop. You've totally got it wrong. You don't want to keep doing what you've been doing. Rather, you want to evolve, graduate, if you will, to a new and well-earned second half of life, one where you move from learning and innovating and amassing to leveraging all you've learned. And friends, I'll tell you, this was a huge uh, positive message for me because that's me. All right. The former leads to burnout and grave dissatisfaction, the latter aspect to the greatest joy and fulfillment life has to offer. So my guest is researcher and expert on this topic, Arthur Brooks. Arthur went from being a professional French horn player to earning degrees online that landed him as a think tank president amongst Ivy League scholars, which you'll hear was uh, an embarrassment to him for a while. To today, he is, okay, this is kind of long, the William Henry Bloomberg Professor of the Practice of Public Leadership at the Harvard Kennedy School and Professor of Management Practice at the Harvard Business School, where he teaches courses on leadership, happiness, and social entrepreneurship. He is also a columnist at The Atlantic, that's a huge gig, where he writes the popular weekly How to Build a Life column. Brooks is author of 12 books, including the 2022 book, which was number one, hit number one on the New York Times seller best list, uh, New York Times bestseller list. Uh, it's called From Strength to Strength, Finding Success, Happiness, and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Life, which is my focus for the series. A recent Harvard Magazine article labeled Arthur as the happiness revolutionary. Somehow between his content and his personality, Arthur has become a massively influential guy who is now called on and cited by people such as Oprah, the Dalai Lama, and the White House. You're about to hear him school us in how our first half of life is spent leveraging fluid knowledge and that our brain is created for this. But around the midpoint of life, our brain has less ability for that fluid knowledge but it transitions to a great ability in crystallized knowledge. And if you are aware of and embrace this, you will find great peace and continued progress. Instead of feeling you are in a race for time to keep up the initiatives and pace from the first half of life. And I resonate with this as you can tell. Friends, thank you for tuning in. This self-helpful podcast was founded through the Zig Ziglar Corporation. June 15 and 16 of 2023, I'll be in Dallas to attend and speak at the Ziglar Coach Summit. If you are really looking intently at influencing people for the better, professionally and personally, I invite you to join us. You'll find what you want here. Go to Ziglar, Z-I-G-L-A-R dot com slash Coach Summit. 
following these sponsors who help make the show possible and provide great resources for your life, I bring you Arthur Brooks and part one of this series on the message in his book, From Strength to Strength, Finding Success, Happiness, and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Life. You can find that book anywhere and you can connect more with Arthur at ArthurBrooks.com. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Arthur, I sat down to read your book. I That's was great. Thank you, Kevin. Not everybody does. <laughs> I, yeah. No, I've gone, I've gone cover to cover and was recommended. I actually had a, a good buddy of mine, my best friend. He's a functional medicine doctor. He was listening to, I think, Peter Atia heard uh-huh. you on there. And he said, man, Kevin, you got to check this book out and uh, maybe get this guy on the show. So I'm honored to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for the show. Thank you for the, all the good you're bringing. Well, I, uh, I'm, I'm eager to bring this good because this is a good... Uh, that I needed uh, from you. And I got to tell you, I, when I first opened the book and I start reading in, I, I, I could not have resonated more. And it was actually, it was actually a little despairing. I mean, I, I sat there yeah. on my couch at home and I thought, man, he's, he's laying out where, I've, where I have felt and I had not clarified it. You were clarifying it, but at the outset, it was a little despairing. And I almost want to say that so that if anyone else who hears this, gets the book, reads yeah. it, that I, I get you. Because at the outset, you're saying, yeah, you're feeling this pressure. You're feeling this fear of decline, yada, yada. And I sat there and I thought, holy smokes, this is, this is me. So I'm going to call it divine timing that you've, yeah. you've nailed yeah. where I've been at. Well, you know, the beginning of the book is hard because people come to the book because they're feeling restless or uncomfortable or frustrated or maybe even afraid, and and they think they're the only ones. And so the consolation comes when you find that the discomfort that you have is normal, but that it's not entirely a happy experience to understand that there's no easy fix. I, we should probably talk about this bad thing we're talking about, right? The two by four across the chops at the beginning of the book. We should stop holding people in suspense. What is the bad news? We are. And I'll, I'll have put some of this in the intro, but I, we're gonna, let's go there. 
And my audience will understand. They know me. They know my story. Yeah. I am I'm 52, Arthur. Yeah. And you're a kid, man. I'm six years younger than I am. I, yeah, I saw that. I saw that. But I'm at that place of, dude, I do not want to decline. I'm looking yeah. and going right now, right now. My performance is pretty, pretty good. I can still have a top day. So I, I'm a, an ex-pro cyclist and I still mountain bike at a decent, at an, at an elite level. And on a day, man, I can put out a big performance. I can't do it every day like I used to. It's fewer and far between. And I'm looking at that and looking at your book and going, there's going to come a time when I just can't. And I, yeah, I don't, and already I you're past your peak, mm-hmm. which is really a distressing thing because people yes. don't, they, they think they get one great kind of show what they're really, really good at. And by the way, I hear from tons of athletes, including a lot of cyclists. And the point about that is interesting. You know, there's no professional football player who thinks that at age 40, they're going to continue to be able to be a pop, top performance. They know that by age 25, they're in a climb. But cyclists, they're at their best at their late 20s, early 30s, which means they're going years and years and years, pro cyclists, and they're getting better and better and better. And so they, they're not... They don't quite believe that the inevitable is going to happen. And when it does, it's really disconcerting because there's one other tyranny about this, Kevin, with pro cyclists and, and you know, classical musicians and people at the absolute top of their trade. You, you learn to only get rewards, neurophysiological rewards, dopamine hits from doing something that only a few people in the world can do and only you can do for a little while. And when you can't, you don't get any satisfaction anymore. Can't and that's the problem. Get no satisfaction. Would you write about in the book? Yeah, I'm going to go out Sunday to a certain trail, and I'm going to go out there because I can enter flow. I can get yeah. to a place that I couldn't get to without that level of fitness, that level of mastery on a mountain bike, and I'm going to be in flow. And you're right. It's the it, I'm giddy about it. I'm giddy during it, but I. I'm not going to be there forever. So that's, you know, that's where you yeah. are. And it's you not know, the same as when you were at the top of your game. I mean, you were a pro cyclist right, and, right. and that's just not the same, man. And, and this is the key thing. And people just regret it and they think I'm never going to enjoy life again. And the whole point of the book is come to terms with that. And then you will understand that there's another success curve behind it. That's the one you need to get on. And that's what the book is really about. The beginning of the book is suck it up, buttercup. The, the Starting chapter two on, it's here's what you do so your life can be even better than it was. Okay, so let's go ahead and go there on what the problem is and what yeah. the hope is. But, but again, I'm, I'm going to take this personally as I do. That's why I do the shows. Yeah. And we're in about three, three to four years of me wrestling with this, of me for the first time coming to a place, I'm going to call it burnout, where yeah. my, my limitless, no excuses life all of a sudden met a limit. It was, and it was a bit of burnout. It was a bit of bitterness, a frustration. I cannot keep doing this with, without, with peace. And I, I realized, dude, I want, I want some peace. So yeah. help us explain that. So now we go into this first half, second half, fluid versus crystallized. Give us a synopsis of that, and then we'll dig in. So one of the things that the, that you never learn when you're trying to be excellent, and again, this is this is the psychology of hardworking strivers. This is I'm not writing for slackers. I'm writing for strivers. The good news is that strivers are listening to Kevin Miller and not the slackers. This is not the slacker podcast. This is the striver podcast. So this is for you and your listeners and me and my students at Harvard University and the people that are trying to live the biggest, best life they possibly can. 
I'm not going to get into the philosophy about whether that's a good idea, but it's just what we're doing. Here's the problem with that. Um, you get better and better and better at what you're doing from everything from sports to, you know, intellectual pursuits to almost anything that can make you into a super striver star in your 20s and 30s. You get better and better and better at it. And and it's a, it's incredibly satisfying and people reward you and they they give you all sorts of admiration and, and, and maybe power and money, depending on what, what what field you're in. And, and you see this progress. Now, the truth is that all of human happiness comes from progress. Getting good at something and staying at that level, there's no fun in that. You want to get better, Absolutely. especially athletes. Like, I want to get better, better, better. I want to lift more weight. I want to ride faster. But it's also true in my business, you know, in the, in the, you know, the public intellectual business. You want more readers, more influence, more impact, more, you know, better books, you know, better sales, better rank on the New York Times bestseller list, whatever it happens to be. And so the truth is that progress is everything. The problem is in all of these professions, from sports to intellectual life to data analysis to financial trading to being a surgeon to being a lawyer to you name it, you peak much earlier than you think you're going to. Why? Because the, the brain, it peaks in its ability to use working memory to, to have indefatigable focus, to figure out how to solve problems autonomously. And generally speaking, your ability to do that peaks at about age 39. It's just the structure of the brain. It's the way that we're wired. You could, you could, you could fault our evolution, given the fact that we're not going to live very much past that in the Pleistocene. So you don't need to have your acuity and your ability to progress past then very much. But it is a fact that you're going to still be good in your 40s and 50s. But you're not going to be making progress in your 40s and 50s. Remember, happiness comes from progress. Dopamine comes from progress, not from a good status quo. And that leads to the crisis and the burnout. Well, you just said, though, that we're not going to be making progress. But aren't you – I feel like you're saying it's going to be a – we're going to go from one type of progress to a different type of progress. Is that That's fair? right. I'm talking about the thing that made you good at what you do. Right. The thing that you define yourself as, your identity – there is a there is a hack to this matrix, but it's figuring out that you've got another set of skills that you didn't know that you had. Most drivers don't know that because most drivers are like, I don't care. I'm all in on this. this is the only thing I'm going to do. Like you as a cyclist. I, yeah. Right? You're your guy that you depicted in the book. And he said, man, I'm going to beat this. I'm just going to go, go, go until I end. That's where I had been. And I'm, I'm seeing the frailty of that, the faultiness of that. It, just to take some layman's terms though, Arthur, yeah. I mean, are we saying, okay, the first type of life, yeah, we're churning and burning, we're building, we're creating, we're innovating. I feel like that was my life. And now I have found myself, I, honestly, a, a tangible aspect is in the past year, even a little bit more than that, I found myself feeling like, you know, I'm just not as interested in business. Right. Um, right. I, I'm not interested. I have a, I, I've got some ideas I'd love to do, but I don't want to be the front man on that. I'd be, I'd be willing to advise on that right now. I really want to go into what I was calling more my art. I want to write. I've got a book coming out. I, I already know the next book that I want to write. I want to do these shows. I want to talk with people like you about ideas and about how to help myself and others participate more in that. Is that a decent depiction of the different sides? 
You're right on schedule. The okay. whole point is that your performance curve is what made you really, really good through your yeah. 20s and 30s. You were still good in your 40s, but you see significant descent in that and the willingness and ability and desire in your 50s. Yeah. Your 40s too, but that's when burnout occurs and it, it creates a sort of a panic, not just because you're crummy at what you do, because you're not. It's because you're less interested, less engaged yeah. in what you're doing and because you're making less progress. My dentist you know, the best dentist in town. She's phenomenal. At age 45 or something, she starts taking Fridays off to golf. And I'm like, I thought you loved being a dentist. And she said, I, I did. And I said, well, do you love golfing? And she says, no, I hate it, but I figure I might learn to love it, but I need, I need something else. Hmm. She's burning out. And mm-hmm. the reason is not because she's a bad dentist. She's still a great dentist. She's not drilling the wrong tooth when I go in there. The reason is because she's not getting better at being a dentist. All excellent performers need to get better and better and better. And when they don't, they start to feel frustrated. They start to burn out and they start to lose interest. Now, now, here's the interesting thing. Nobody tells you, fellow strivers, that you're not just good at one thing. There's a whole set of skills in your area that you're unbelievably good at that gets better and better in your 50s and 60s. And that's... That's the platform you got to jump onto if you know what it is. Well, yeah, you you just depicted what I have been experiencing, which is why the book was so profound and I feel like, yeah, divine that I got it now because I still want to, I do want to make progress. I can't, I'm not inspired to get out of bed in the morning. I mean, I, I love that I am inspired to get out of bed every morning because I'm interested, because I am right. curious. But yeah, it is different. And I appreciate you even saying I've just lost interest in some things. I adore what I get to do for my work. And yet I find myself wanting to devote to experiences to yeah, going on a mountain bike ride to uh, doing something with my family to again, having discussions like this is a place of of flow for me that I feel more drawn to than going and building, creating, innovating. So I I find myself hiring more people. I've been in hiring mode for, it feels like continually people to do the things that I'm just not interested in doing. Yeah. And, and furthermore that you're not best at doing the reason you're less interested in doing them is because you're not as good at doing them as you were in the past and you're not making progress in doing them. So you want to hire the people to do them. So you're right. You're doing exactly the right thing intuitively. And so that's the key to think about. Now let's be, let's just put some more sort of academic terms on this. The, what makes you good at what you do in the early part of your life, that's called fluid intelligence. Yeah. That's where you have incredible focus, where you have working memory and you have innovative capacity. You can solve any problem autonomously and you get better and better and better at it. Whether it's figuring out how to win a race, whether it's figuring out how to solve a problem, write a theorem, uh, compose a symphony, whatever it happens to be. That tends to peak in your ability around age 40, 39, 40, 41, 42. And then it starts to decline. For everybody. I mean, there's there's nobody who is as good at that stuff at 60 as they were at 30. It just isn't the case. As that's declining, there's a second intelligence curve that's coming in behind it called crystallized intelligence. That's something that does not require working memory. It does not require indefatigable focus. It doesn't require innovative capacity. What it requires is pattern recognition, wisdom, teaching ability. In other words, you go from innovator to instructor. You go from player to coach. Naturally, your brain is set up to be a teacher as you get older. So as you start burning out on doing those 
you know, all nighters mm-hmm. to write the business plan by yourself, yeah. you basically start getting more energy to find the person who can be unbelievably successful and you can teach them how to do it. Absolutely. Because your crystallized intelligence curve is making progress and that's what gives you pleasure. You're getting better at doing that. And that's what everybody needs to do. And they're mid 40s, late 40s. They need to step from the fluid intelligence curve to the crystallized intelligence curve. So if you're a lawyer, for example, you should be a star litigator at 35. You should be managing partner at 55. If you're a startup entrepreneur, you should be writing your business plans and starting your business at 30. You should be a venture capitalist at 60. You get the point. You know, when I was 35, I was writing academic journal articles as a social scientist that were so mathematically sophisticated, I can't read them today. Pure fluid intelligence. Now, I write for a million people a week in the Atlantic. Mm. But, and that means I'm not writing technically. I'm a teacher. I'm a way better teacher than I've ever been as a professor, actually as a writer. I'm, I'm, I'm in public education now in a way that I was never able to when I was in my 30s. Today, I'm much better at it. I've gone from an intellectual innovator to an intellectual instructor as I've gotten older. And that's what you're finding gives you more pleasure. You're hiring Mm -hmm. people to do stuff. You're teaching them how to do it. You're firing them up. You're coaching them. You're encouraging them. And that's what gives you energy. That's because you're migrating onto your crystallized intelligence curve. If everybody figures out that curve and can do it, happiness and success will be theirs. Here's the best news. That curve doesn't turn down. As long as God gives you your marbles, You'll have your crystallized intelligence in your 80s and 90s. You can have your crystallized intelligence curve. It never goes away. And it gives you much more happiness because it's not the me curve. It's the we curve. You know, it's the communion curve. It's the teaching curve. It's the sharing curve. It's the best. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to take about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to 100 times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. 
Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code Kevin. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. It's the best. And we'll talk about health and wellness in part two here in a little while, because yeah, I've gotten to the point now of realizing, okay, I may not be able to do 15 pull-ups the rest of my life, but man, if my mind can, I am highly motivated to do whatever I can to keep me cognitively where I want to be. I want to point out something you said, because it's Maybe it's just relieving to hear. It's amazing to look back on things that I did a decade, 15 years ago. And yeah, I can't conceive of how on earth that I do that. Not that I'm less capable, but oh my gosh, when I, you know, build it, we built a big alternative home at the same time I was building a business and I look around it now and go, I I have no memory of what I even did in this aspect that I, I I've kind of lost that again. I don't feel less cognitively able overall, but you're saying yeah, in some areas I am. And like you said, I did these things back then. I can't even read anymore is, uh, I guess it's comforting. So thank you. Yeah, totally. And it's your brain is supposed to be that way. Your, your rewire, your brain is rewiring to be, to, 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 to find patterns, to recognize patterns in particular, your brain is wiring to do that, to explain very complex ideas to teach and coach people to be really good at what they do and to pass on knowledge. That's, in other words, it's weird. It's, it's so much more satisfying because when you're 30, you have the energy and focus and the working memory to solve any problem alone. When you're 60, you know which problems to solve and whom to pay to solve them. You know, and it's better. It's actually better. It's more satisfying. It's more fun. By the way, you can make a lot more money mm-hmm. on the crystallized intelligence curve than you can on the fluid intelligence curve. So it's like, it's a complete win-win. The problem is that people like being good at what they were always good at. You know, if you're a super striver and you busted mm-hmm. your pick for, you know, a couple of decades to get to the top of that fluid intelligence curve. And when it flips and it starts going the other direction, you'll freak out. And a lot of people just will refuse to get off it and ride it all the way down in the cellar. And they won't even explore that second intelligence curve because of pride. Yeah. And, and it's a big mistake. It, it almost reminds me of athletics of saying, okay, maybe in your youth, you were a top gymnast. You have a... F- shorter timeline that you're going to be able to do that, but you may be, you can still be an athlete. You can change, why don't you change to an endurance sport? Maybe that's going to be a little longer working for you. That makes sense. Because as I look at this, Arthur, I feel like somewhat of saying, you know, even the second half of, or I think the backside of life, I don't like that term, you know, but the look at the second half to say, look, I have evolved. Can I do that? Can I say I have evolved to uh, a second stage that I have earned that you can't enter into at 20, that I now have the ability but that feels, no. that feels more honorable. Yeah, totally. And the other thing is it's like, you know, the, the crystallized intelligence curve is like a secret society. It's like a club okay. that nobody lets you into and you don't even know. So, you know, I'll have, as a, I'm a senior faculty member at Harvard now and, and, and I'll have junior faculty who are hired and they'll, they'll say like, 
Tell me, what's the secret to getting really good teaching evaluations? The answer is get old. <laughs> That's the secret. Okay. You know? That's hopeful. You know, it's like, wait till your hair falls out. Then we'll start talking, sonny boy. Okay. It's amazing, actually, because it's so clear that, that you teach, that you the synaptic patterns are wired for you to explain complex ideas in much clearer and better ways. It's like... And part of the reason is because the, the the nature of knowledge is that, you know, we used to think that people, that their working memory would degrade in their 50s and 60s because of some problem with the brain. Now, the reason is because of the filing system, the fact that your library is utterly jammed with books. And so, you know, you got to, you know, when you're 20, you got one book in your library. It's very easy to open it and find what you're looking for. Yeah. When you're in your 50s, it's like the New York Public Library and you got to go to the back of the stacks and take an elevator up and you probably stop for the drinking fountain on the way. And so, you know, 10 minutes later, you come back and your memory says that guy's name was Mike and Mike is long gone. You feel like an idiot. No, you just got to a lot of knowledge you have a lot and, and the filing system is highly imperfect. So use it without a time limit. Mm-hmm. Use your library the way that it is best used, which is, I can tell you how to do this thing. Let me explain how this works. This reminds me of something else. Here are all these experiences. Mm-hmm. Be the professor. Don't be the, you know, the, the, the startup guy anymore. Whatever that happens to me in, in, in your career. Everybody's got that in their career, by the way. Everybody's got a version of that. In their, you don't even have to change careers or jobs. You just have to find a different way to express your skills. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you bring me to feeling more the hope of... This is not a second backside of life that I am now relegated to. It is a place I get to move to out of privilege, almost like off the front lines. Man, I was battling up on the front lines. That has its glory. Now, though, not because of an inability, but because of an evolution, I'm going to go back here and help with the overall strategy and let the young guys go do the front battle. That's not my gig anymore. I did that. I've now earned a place over here of greater wisdom of the sage, in essence, that I can now be put to use in a place that I have... The only I can do, like you said, the secret club. That's uh, right. And you're going to be much better at it than you ever would be before. You know, a lot of people find in their 50s and 60s that they're literally teaching, you know, that they go, they'll teach at the local community college or something. And they're like, I had no idea I was such a good teacher when I was 35. And the answer is because you weren't. You weren't. Okay. You actually weren't. You are now because you've seen a lot. You can explain things. You have a richer vocabulary. It's funny because hmm. as you get older, you're a much better Scrabble player. I don't know if you're into Scrabble. I'm not. But the data on Scrabble players is that you get better as you get older because Scrabble is a crystallized intelligence game. Okay. It's no, not a speed I, game. I, I adore Scrabble, actually. It's one of, it's, yeah. it, it is my favorite game on planet Earth. And I... Uh, don't spend much time on this device except to play word feud and upwards with my son. Uh, so there you go. You're going to, you're going to cream him. And oh. as you get older, you're going to cream him until he finally starts getting into his crystallized intelligence <laughs> curve too. Okay, great. Thanks for that. Uh, all right. So people are hearing this. I hope they're inspired. This sounds hopeful. And then of course we go to the, how do you do this? And I appreciate you starting off with not only, not necessarily the how to, but the, you call it the three forces holding you back and how to remove them. And man, number one right there, this is a show in and of itself, the addiction to work and success. And I think you say break the addiction in there, man, that right. is, that is significant to look at that. And what you really brought me to Arthur was looking again at the why. I mean, that's what my book is about is looking at our motives. And when I look at the success and how you lay it out really calls me into question of stepping back. Well, really you even getting to saying at this time of life, you may not be in the time of 
accumulating stuff, you would probably be more well served to simplify. And it's got me looking at, yeah, why am I doing the things that I am doing? What are we doing? What is the motive? And it really feels like so much of it is, as you, as you really attest to somewhat, that we're doing it to impress people. And this is the yeah. time to look at that and question it. You actually got me thinking about the old Robert Johnson myth of, you know, the guy who played music and he sold his soul to the devil to master his guitar, that we gave up happiness for the achievement. And that's big. It's a big, big medicine to jump into. Yeah. And you know, there's a reason for that, that people want to do that. So, so one of the stories I tell in the book is this woman that I was interviewing, um, while doing the research. And she's yeah. just my age. She's on Wall Street. She's a titan of Wall Street. And uh, she was confessing to me, like people often do, because I'm a specialist and I'm a social scientist specializing in it. I teach happiness at Harvard. So people talk to me about their happiness all right. the time. And, and she says, she's horribly unhappy. And she, I asked her why. And she said, well, you know, my business, uh, it's great, I guess, except that it's all I do is work. And my decisions are not that great anymore. And I don't think the younger people really trust me. She says, my relationships are fallow. I'm roommates with my husband at best. I have a cordial relationship with my adult kids. I really don't have any close friends. And she's going through this litany of horrors. And she says, what should I do? And I told her, you know what to do. I mean, it's like, I don't have to read the book to you. I mean, you just told me, I don't, why don't you, you know, step back from your job, go away with your husband. You're drinking too much. Get that under control. Get to know your kids. And, and soon you'll have grandkids. And, and why, don't, why don't you make the decision to do that? And she said, and this was a showstopper for me. She it, said, it is. I've always chosen to be special than happy rather than happy. It's like, boom, man. I mean, it's like me too. Me too. All of us, we do this. We chose, we choose specialness, you know, all the 14th hour day I spent at my office, as opposed to when my kids were little, I'm not getting those years back. Yeah. And, and the reason is because I want to be special. Why? Because Mother Nature wants me to want to be special. Mother Nature doesn't care about my happiness. She wants me to pass on my genes and survive. And that means being admired by other people, having power, having disproportionate resources. Here's the deal, Kevin. You're driven as a human being. It's not your moral failing. You're driven naturally to seek money, power, pleasure, and fame. Money, power, pleasure, and the admiration or prestige of others. That's what you're driven because Mother Nature wants you to survive and pass on your genes. You have to make the you have to make the decision not to follow the animal path, but to follow the divine path. The divine path is faith, family, friends, and work that serves others. Those are the right four goals. And that those are the happiness goals. The specialness goals are money, power, pleasure, and fame. The happiness goals are faith, family, friends, and work, and it doesn't come naturally. <laughs> you have to make an effort to do it and make a decision to do it. It feels then we are in an interesting, maybe it's, you know, we always think now is unique. Maybe it's not, probably isn't. But you know, as well as I do, if you look at the resources on happiness, the books with happiness in the title, the podcast with happiness in the title, the resources right now, they're, they're at an all-time high. I mean, I, I don't know how many boxes of books that I have of people wanting to be on the show, and it's, it's a happy topic. Right. And yet what you really do, a, I was going to say a good job, it, it's, it's kind of disheartening, is to show at the end of the day, the majority of us are not seeking happiness. That is not our priority. No. It is achievement. And it is... Specialness. Special, spe- special. I know, because you yeah. say that, and I, you, you showcased the... What was the stat on 
Olympic athletes, and you said most of them chose to you know only live five years more, but if they could get the gold medal, yeah, they they were there. more than half of Olympic athletes confess mm-hmm. that if they there were a drug that they could take that would guarantee they win the gold, but would also guarantee they're not going to live more than five more years. More than half would take it. Wait, I, my first line. thought was okay because if this right? book, book behind me that that launches in about three weeks to say okay, Kevin. It can sell as many copies as James Clear's Atomic Habits, but you only get five more years. Now, I wouldn't choose that, but I know you wouldn't. It's but tempting. think about it for a minute. Oh, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. And and to to look at that, and it was daunting, Arthur, to read that and to go, yeah. How many of the things have I been pursuing for my own happiness? I probably thought I was. I probably thought, well, gosh, well, things will be better if I have this achievement and make this money. And to some degree, I mean, I'm not dissing money. I appreciate what it can do. And I'm happy to make that and make more and whatever. But it, well, I guess this is it. It feels like it brings us as a culture into a reality of cognitive dissonance. Dissonance. We think that we want happiness. That's what was selling over here. That's not what our lives are showing as our priority. That puts us in attention in the middle, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 I mean, the whole, the, the look, I mean, all of these tendencies are extremely natural. Once again, we're not supposed okay. to live that long. We're living very long lives way beyond what another mother nature's plan was for us, which is a wonderful thing, but it just means that we have to transcend what these Pleistocene tendencies are, are, you know, and, and again, I'm, I'm a traditionally religious person, so I have a divine take on this, right. but even if you're not, even if it's just evolutionary psychology and evolutionary biology, you have to, you have to figure out a, a strategy for transcending that. And the way to to transcend that is to say, I, I'm going to make the decision to do the work to be happy as opposed to scratching the itch of being special all the time. Now, specialness as a curse is based on an addiction to success, and that's manifest in a tendency called workaholism. Mm-hmm. What a lot of people listening to us, one of the reasons they listen to you is because they want an edge. I got it. They want an edge. And I do too. We all want an edge. You know, I'm 58 years old. I spend 60 minutes working out every, I miss one day a month. And, you know, it's just, I'm hitting it. I'm hitting it, you know, and I work really hard and I'm always writing books and, and I want them to be big bestsellers and the whole thing. I mean, I'm very, very competitive, <clears throat> but I have to recognize that this is playing into, if I let it get out of control, it's going to turn into the money, power, pleasure, fame deal, as opposed to what I really want for my own happiness, which I have to consciously choose, which is faith, family, real friends, and work that serves other people. Those are the only things that are going to bring me enduring satisfaction, as I, especially as I get older. You brought me to, in this topic, a it's almost a picture in my head. I don't know if I'll do a good job of explaining it, but how of just of being aware of being aware right. of this. And like you just said, it's not that you are not still going to work out that you still don't have some values there, but at least you are aware of that and know how it can get out of hand. So if right. I look at myself, look at my life, look at my achievements, look at this pursuit of, you know, quote success and say, okay, now if my life consisted of me, Kevin Miller, like from my eyes to my mouth, you can't see my hair, you can't see much of anything, you can't see the clothes I'm wearing, the car I'm driving, the house that I live in, the my bank account, you can't, you can't see anything and I can't share anything, what would I care about? What would be a value to others? And it would strip away all those things. What do I care about having a Porsche if nobody else is going to see that? doesn't mean that I may not want a Porsche. 
Maybe it gives me some joy. Maybe it makes me feel good. Maybe I'm a realtor and it'll help me get high-end clients, but at least I know I'm playing the game. At least I'm aware of that. Is that a fair look at it? It's not to just eschew everything out there, but it's, but to say, let's, let's get a grip on the motive and what we're really about. Yeah. Well, the, the key way to think about it is that like, we all want nice things and we all want to be appreciated for what we do. Yeah. Uh, of course. But those should not be that the rewards of, you know, earthly success should not be the ultimate goal because they'll be deeply unsatisfying. And I have a lot of neuroscience and what, you know, in my own research, I'll show you, we we can talk about actually what the brain is doing when you're just, you're just running, running, running in in an unsatisfying cycle of trying to get these worldly benefits over and over again. Mick Jagger saying you can't get no satisfaction. That's wrong. You can't keep no satisfaction. You're, that's okay, the truth. You're, I wanted to pull that out because I got your line yeah. written right here. Satisfaction. Because yeah. this is mind yeah, That's the problem. So the key thing is, okay, worldly rewards are okay, but only as intermediate rewards to get to the things that really matter. The truth is that you should only want money because it facilitates the relationships that you hold dear and what you're able to do with it. That makes the world better. You should only care about power because you want to use that power for the public good. You want to actually be a saint. You should only care about the admiration of other people so that people will admire you and do what you do so that they can get better and be happier people. Those are the only reasons that it matters. So again, it comes down to the spirit behind it in essence. For sure. Arthur, your your statement on satisfaction is, and you say it's not getting what you want but continually getting yeah. what you want. That's, that's something that sits me on my butt uh, yeah. to consider. And you have another, oh, success, same thing. Continually, you know, it's not having more than others. It's continually having more. It doesn't, more than others. It doesn't that's end. Success is. It's and an it, exercise in futility. It's craziness. And, and, and here's the problem with it. I mean, y- you, again, the tyranny of Mother Nature she wants you to search for these things that give you the rewards that will help you survive and pass on your genes. But she doesn't want you to figure out that you're going to readjust completely and, and, and quickly to the satisfaction that comes from getting that. That's yeah. called homeostasis, which is any biological or emotional process for you to go back to your equilibrium quickly. You're not supposed to recognize that so you don't stop running. It's a, it's a very funny thing where, you're, where your brain is wired to fool you again and again and again. So you think that I'm going to love that fifth watch. I'm going to love that fifth watch. It's going to be so awesome. No, you're not. You're going to say, oh, that's kind of cool. And then you're going to habituate to it. And you're going to think about the sixth watch mm-hmm. or the second car or the beach house or the, I mean, fill in the blanks. Unless you're using it for something that facilitates real love and relationships, it's going to be nothing more than you running on a treadmill. We have a term for that called the hedonic treadmill. Where right. Hedonic means feelings. And the treadmill means you're not making progress. It's moving against you. And so you have to keep running, running and running and running just to stay in place. You got to hack that matrix. Now, there are ways to get the satisfaction, but you can't go with what just feels right and what feels good. You have to go against your instincts to get lasting satisfaction. You you bring me almost to playing with words of like, what on earth do I want? And I, I've been playing for a while now with fulfillment. I don't know if that's a fair one, but I want to feel... What word would you use? If we can't get satisfaction, not ultimately, it's not, it's not sustainable. It's not continual. It's yeah. not static. Is fulfillment it? Do I, so I, the way to think about this is whether you call it fulfillment or lasting satisfaction, okay. the problem is not the word. The problem is the 
formula for it. Your brain gives you the formula. Satisfaction comes from having more. That's what your brain tells you. That's what Mother Nature tells you. That's what the economy tells you. That's what the culture tells you. That's what Hollywood tells you. That's what everybody. That's certainly what inst- inst- uh, what, what social media is telling you. Right. Is that that you will be satisfied when you have more. The problem is that means more and then more and then more and then more and that becomes your life strategy is more. Here's the way to think about it. The right the the right formula for lasting satisfaction or what you call it fulfillment is all of your haves divided by your wants. Haves divided by wants. Okay. Now think about it this way: you can have more and 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 be temporarily satisfied, or you can decrease the denominator of that fraction and have the number go up more in a more lasting fashion. In other words, everybody listening to us, fellow strivers, Uh don't lie to me. I know you have a have more strategy guys. Uh Just trying to increase the numerator of that fraction is an exercise in futility. You need a way to manage the denominator of your haves divided by wants fraction. You need a wants management strategy in your life. That doesn't mean that you're not going to get these things. It means you're not attached to the cravings and desires and the worldly ambitions. You need a reverse bucket list. Forget the bucket list. Make a reverse bucket list where you're not in the limbic system of your brain being managed by these desires anymore. You're writing them down and saying, maybe I get it, maybe I don't, easy come, easy go, and you will be free. This is the way to do it. Now, again, the world doesn't tell you to do this. You have to go against the conventions of the world to do this. But if you do, it's going to it's like it's a total game changer, Kevin. I okay, so back to that aspect of accumulation even. I have found myself, yeah, I don't want any more. I don't want another car. It's just something else to to have to screw with. I don't want another uh, we were looking at, you know, let's get a house. We like going here. Let's get a house there. We'll VBR VRBO it, you know, let's get a house over here. I don't want to. I'd rather just pay for somebody else's VRBO. So yeah, I'm 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 wearing out on the more 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 to be satisfied. What I'm finding is I just want to get more enjoyment out of the things I already have. Can I go enjoy that mountain bike ride on Sunday 10 times more than I did 10 years ago when I was just bagging it as the next thing or the next training exercise order? Can I get more enjoyment out of that? Is that a fair delineation? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it really depends on, on, you know, what's in your haves basket and what's in your wants basket, you know, what actually you're trying to, to accumulate. Here's the way to think about it. It's time to stop you know, having what you want and start, it's time to start wanting what you have. Okay. You know, it's basically, you've got these things and and you want these things. You're going to enjoy these things. You're going to pay attention to these things. You're going to, you're going to consume these things with the people that you love and make a memory. That's really what it's all about. That's where satisfaction can be enduring. That's where the fulfillment can actually come in your life. On the other hand, if you're basically, and you said before, you know, why would you want all this stuff? And, and cause so you can impress other people, the real problem for strivers is that you're trying to live up to your own standards. You're trying to impress yeah. you. Yeah. You know, this is the key thing. It's like, am I, am I successful yet, fellow strivers? You know, am I, am I special yet? Yeah. Do I feel special yet? Sure, I want other people to admire me for sure. But, you know, it's hard enough to live up to other people's standards. It's much harder to live up to your own standards when you are committed to excellence, when you're part of the cult of excellence, which, by the way, I'm a, I'm a charter member of that cult. Yeah. Absolutely. 
but I understand that if I don't manage it, it's going to manage me. <laughs> and, and that's a tyranny. And, you know, I deserve to be happy. So let's come to the aspect of attachment. And you mentioned that a minute ago, our attachment to these achievements. It reminded me of, we had uh, Andy Norman on the show not long ago. He's yeah. got the book, Mental Immunity. I spent the majority of the show talking about belief. And in essence, what I've continued to talk about is the danger of having my belief. Belief's not bad, but if I have my self-image attached to my belief, now I am unbiased. I can't question it. And it gets really dangerous. And that's so much of the culture that we're in. Same thing over here on the attachment. And I know this is elementary, but as you really list out in the book, it's elementary, but we're living it still. We're still living within the construct of attaching ourselves to, I mean, my bio starts off former pro cyclist. That was 20 years ago. That was 20 years ago. Now it's, it's relevant for credibility out here, playing the game and doing a book deal and all that kind of stuff. But that was a while ago. I am no longer a professional cyclist. And at some point I'll always be a dad, but at some point there won't be kids at home. It's not my role that I fulfill a whole, at least not as much on a day-to-day active basis. And can I detach that's what I feel you calling us to detach from yeah. those that you not downplay them, not, not try to not, not try to achieve something else, but to question our attachment to it, that that's the danger. So again, we're talking about an aspect of awareness. Is that fair? Yeah. And you know, there are lots of ways to do this, by the way, Kevin. So <clears throat> it's going to say former pro cyclist in your bio, because that's just kind of who you are. Take the, I would recommend that all of us take our trophies out of our offices Now, why? Because those are reminders to you of how special you were. Use it to get an entree into something new, but don't use it as a reminder of your own past greatness. See, there's two things that trophies do. They open doors, but they also remind you of who you were. You don't need to be reminded of who you were because you shouldn't. Look, strivers, look through the the, the windshield. Not through the rear view mirror. You don't need to be reminded of your own past greatness. You know, this is actually, it's also, it's actually kind of a torment, isn't it? For a lot of people that they, you know, they have, you know, their yellow jerseys from the, from the tour up on the wall or something, you know, 30 years after they won their last tour. It's like, I used to be somebody like Jake LaMotta, you know, <laughs> so, somebody talked about that recently and I don't remember who it was, Arthur, but about that shift of having gone to what you're doing, whatever, to what I did. This is who yeah. I was. Yeah, yeah. And, that's and I'm telling you, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy because the world moves on and you don't. I mean, I used to be the CEO of this company and, you know, and I, and I ran the company for 11 years and it was really successful. I mean, it went really well. I, you know, as it was a big nonprofit organization, I raised tons of money, built buildings, the whole deal. And, um, you know, somebody told me as I was about to retire, I retired when I was 55. And, and the guy says, you're going to go from who's who to who's he in six months. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? And, uh, you know, I had all these trophies from all the time, all the, you know, the is unbelievable. And, and I go back six months after I left and they'd hired all these young people. And they didn't recognize me. It's like, I built this building, yeah. <laughs> you punk kids. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was stuck in something a little bit, and it's just a little, but it reminded me of these principles. You know, I'm a social scientist. And so I study this stuff all day long. And again, I can explain what the brain is doing when you're stuck in these, when they're stuck in these patterns, but we all know what it feels like. You don't need to know the science explicitly to experience it. And so the result is we have to defend ourselves from it. We have to defend ourselves from these things to not reduce ourselves. Here's the a principle that's really important for strivers to understand. When, we, when you and I were young guys, I'm sure your dad taught you the same thing that my dad taught me. It is 
hopelessly immoral to objectify a woman Mm -hmm. for her looks. You're not supposed to do that. It's a big sin to do that. Do not reduce a woman to her looks or to her body or something. Do not do that. She's a human being like you. Treat her as such. Okay. So, all right. All right. I got it. I believed it. I tried to live it for sure. But I have objectified somebody again and again and again. Me, Mm -hmm. right? Who am I? I'm Arthur Brooks, the CEO. I'm Arthur Brooks, the author. I'm Arthur Brooks, the guy who did that thing. No, no, no. I'm a child of God. I'm a husband. I'm a father. In a couple of days, I'm going to be a grandfather. I mean, that's where the action is. The truth is, I am not the sum of my achievements. I am not a cardboard cutout of myself. We make a huge mistake with the, with the, with the sin of self-objectification, which is what lies behind the specialness cult, which lies behind the success addiction, which lies behind the workaholism. It's all of a piece. Okay, I have a real life depiction of what you just talked about. Uh, Wait on me. I just picked. I just picked this up. So this is a. I don't know if you can see it on the vid- video here. It's a oh, picture. Yeah. It's a mountain bike trail. It's a, It's the front of a mountain bike, uh, like the handlebars. Yeah. A picture I took, and my son made this little poster for me. Gave it to me for Christmas, and it says, "I am the engine," because I said that, and. I love, on one hand, I love that. I love that I can get on a, a trail running or on a yep. mountain bike, whatever, and that I am propelling that. I'm not an engine guy as far as mechanics and stuff. I like being the engine. And I love that I'm going to be on Sunday ripping along uh, in a way that only I can do according to my you know fitness and, and again, what I'm able to do. But I also, within the last six months, true story, with a therapist, it dawned on me that I have treated myself right in accordance with what you just said as a tool. I'm yeah. just a tool to get things done. I have a car that gets me this place. I have a hammer that gets me this place. I have a microphone that does this. The computer does this. And I do this part. And I've treated myself like a tool. Your machine. Yeah. Uh, the engine. Yeah. 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 You objectified yourself. Absolutely. You are not Kevin Miller, flesh and blood uh-uh. uh, with a, a body and a soul. No, no, no. You're a guy who does a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am a guy who does a thing. Let me ask you about that, Arthur. I wanted to hit this for sure. You talk, I think it's the uh, part three in the first section, and it's titled Ponder Your Death, which sounds morbid. And yeah. as I thought about it, though, I I mean, you know, what you think about death, we can always say, and until it knocks on our doorstep, we'll find out what we really think. But I tend to think, do I really, am I afraid of death, of my heartbeat stopping? I don't know that I am. Again, I may be wrong, but I don't know that I am. I have had testimony, especially from my kids. There's been so many times where I said, guys, I could die right now. Just whatever you just said or wrote, just put that on my tombstone. I am, I can't do better than that. And so in that sense of, of regrets, I don't feel like I have them. But over here, I'm wondering, is our fear of death more because we're afraid of what we will not have gotten done yet? Like, these are the regrets. I, 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 I don't want to die now because I haven't done X. I haven't, I haven't achieved or haven't felt or haven't experienced happiness. Is it more a regret yeah. focus? Yeah. On that so I, I talk about death in the book. Yeah. And, and I talk about it a lot in my teaching as well. So I teach MBA students at Harvard. Um, at the Harvard Business School. They're in the last semester of their last year when they get my happiness class. And um, and I talk to them a lot about their death. And they're not afraid of dying. I mean, 20% of Americans have a morbid fear of dying. Okay. Everybody's a little nervous about it. But most 80% are not really that afraid of it. But everybody has a death fear. Here's the deal. Your death fear is the thing that that kills your identity. 
that kills your version of you that's most important. So I talk to a lot of strivers, and what they're really afraid of is becoming irrelevant. What they're really afraid of is being forgotten. What they're really, really afraid of is failing. They're afraid of failing. Why? Because they're success people, and success people are afraid of failing. My students, these MBA students are in their late 20s. They've never gotten a B, dude. I mean, they have never, I mean, they've aced every exam since kindergarten, and they're desperately afraid of failing. Why? Because that's their death fear, because that threatens their image of themselves. Every single person watching and listening to us has a death fear. And that's the thing that you're afraid of that will shake you from the image of your being your special self, whether it's your relevance or your, your academic success or your ability to earn and support your family or something is your big death fear. And that's what you got to confront. So in that chapter, one of the ways to be set free is, you know, it, it, this is a very uh, easy and straightforward principle of psychology, which is exposure. If you're afraid of snakes and you go to a psychologist, the psychologist will start by showing you pictures of snakes. And then over the course of your therapy, you'll wind up actually handling snakes. Why? Because you want snakes to become ordinary. And in so doing, you'll inure your, your, your threat and fear response to contact with the object of your fears. The same thing is true if with for every striver for their death fear. And so what I recommend is, is, a, is a meditation. This is a Theravada Buddhist meditation called the Maranasati that, they, that the monks undertake. Monks want to become completely comfortable with the reality of their physical death. And so what they do is they, they ponder their own death. They look at pictures of corpses in various states of decay and say, that is me. And they have a Maranasati, a nine-mark part meditation that looks at each stage of what they are after hmm. death. You know, I'm a dead body. I'm a dead body starting to compose. I'm a dead decompose. I'm a, and all the way down to I'm a pile of bones, right? I'm completely forgotten and I'm a, I'm a pile of bones. Okay, now, who cares? Here's the Maranasati death meditation for fellow strivers. Um. I just lost. I just failed to live up to my own expectations. Uh, I didn't get the best grades. Um, I think people are doing better than me. Here's what what really freaks out. There's this one stage in a meditation I wrote for my my failure-obsessed students. I think my parents feel sorry for me. They get to that stage and they start crying. Wow. (laughs) And the reason is because... You hit the cord, man. You hit the cord. And so what I recommend is that each person listening to us, what's your death? What's your death fear? What is it? What is it? What is that thing that if that happened to you would be like you dying, even if you're actually physically still alive? I want you to contemplate that nine steps of just digging into that two minutes on each step every day until until you're free. Because when I'm telling you, if you do that for four weeks, you'll be free and you'll never be the same because you won't be afraid anymore. I mean, you nailed me with the irrelevant. That's it. That's totally. it. I, I don't want to be grandpa in the corner. I, I don't want to be irrelevant or unable. And if th- that's been the joke with the kids. I said, guys, you know, there's a, a trail ridge road. There's a big drop off. You can hit about 70 on the bike. And when I get to that point, just let me go. And I'll say, make it look that. like an accident, guys. <laughs> make it look like an accident. Yeah. You know, you know like... what mine is, Kevin? Hmm. I'll tell you what mine is right now. It's, uh, it's losing my mind. Yeah. I mean, that happens in my family. It runs in my family. My mother was, was profoundly demented when she was my age, mid to late fifties. And, and 
I mean, my coconut is how I do everything. This is my, this is the whole show for me. I mean, that's, that's it. If I lose my mind, I'm not, I'm not me. I'm not anything. Everything I've done. I mean, it's like, I'm not an athlete like you. I always wanted to be an athlete like you. I, I don't know. I don't have the, I don't have it. What I've got is a brain that works and it's got, it works all the time. I can't get it off. Man, I lose that. I'm, I'm nothing. I'm, so we, what's my Marinasati meditation? Okay. I imagine myself losing my memory. I imagine myself losing my ideas. I imagine myself losing my cognitive ability. I imagine myself having to be cared for. I imagine myself not being able to remember my family members, not being able to do my work. Why? Because it could happen. It might happen. Yeah. Kevin, it probably will happen. And if I'm not ready for that, then what I'm just living, I'm, I'm, I'm living in a state of sort of semi real terror. I'm then I'm not actually, here's the irony. If I'm living in that terror, I'm not fully alive right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's the, the name of it again, Marin, Marinati. What, say it again. Marinasati. M-A-R-A-N-S-A-T-I. It's in the book um, from strength to strength. And, and uh, okay. you I'm, can also, my columns in the Atlantic, you can find it occasionally in there. Well, I also just had a conversation, I think last week with Don Dapani. Uh, he's got a new book yeah. out and uh, he was a monk for a decade. And uh, he's actually coming back on to do part two next, I think right. next week. I'll ask him about that. Uh, and re- let him expound on his own experience with that. Yeah, I need one to, to be unable. I've, I've been practicing the irrelevance a little bit. I've got a big family. I've got adult kids and just being in a room with them and they start going off on a topic. And I try to just step back and just let them, let them talk. I don't have to intervene. Even that's hard. I don't have to give my two cents. And it's just, uh, that's not, that's well, speaking of family, I, I did want to hit on your other part here, cultivate your Aspen Grove. I love that because I live in five and a half acres of the biggest Aspen trees you've ever seen. I appreciate those. And you talk about those as being an interconnected organism. That's the biggest one that we have is Aspen Groves. And this is when you talk about Robert Waldinger's work on happiness and other people who are involved in that study, the longest scientific study on happiness. And it is our relationships. Right. Which again is bringing us back to that's not one of the things on the top of our achievement. Maybe we get married, maybe we have kids, but it's not our relationship. Those are just roles that we have then gotten. We can suck at them, but they're roles that we have by proxy of getting married or having a significant other and having kids. But the relationship in itself, because the other side of that, that we looked at after my series with Robert on, okay, relationships is what make us happy, but that's also the thing that we tend to screw up most and struggle with most. So how do we have good relationships is what you're bringing us to. Yeah, for sure. Now, what the, the reason that strivers tend to have such bad relationships is they don't do the work. Yeah. And the reason they don't do the work is because relationships don't make you special. Any idiot can have relationships. Mm-hmm. Any loser, any, 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 you know, like slacker, it seems can have relationships. And so I'm not going to put my eggs in that basket. I'm going to be a, a great cyclist. I'm going to be a great scholar. I'm going to be a great fill in the blanks. And, and in so doing, I'm probably going to marginalize my marriage. I'm going to marginalize my relationship with my kids. I'm going to marginalize my real friendships. And, and the result is I'm going to be special, but I'm not going to be happy is what it comes down to. So when it comes to this, it's the most, probably the most important point that, we, that we're left with. It, you know, the whole science of happiness 
comes down to the work that the great Bob Waldinger is doing. You know, he's running this Harvard study of adult development, which is an 85 year longitudinal study starts in the thirties of people and what they were doing when they were young and, and how it predicted how happy they were going to be when they were older. And some of the stuff is really predictable. You know, you, it's a, you know, diet and exercise and smoking and drinking and, and, you know, the bottom line is don't smoke, obviously. Uh, limit your drink drinking to two drinks a week at most. Two drinks a week at most. You know, all our listeners are thinking, oh, I thought it was two drinks a day. Well, your your information is 20 years out of date. Mm-hmm. And your information was subsidized by the wine industry, too, by the way. Um, and and that's two. Three is, is you know, diet and exercise, but nothing, n- not nutty stuff. You know, not the faddish internet stuff. I mean, take care of yourself and do it in a way that's really sensible. But then the last three are more interesting. You need to have a coping mechanism for your problems that you turn to, whether it's your relationships, your therapist, your meditation practice, your journaling. You need to have lifelong learning. But most importantly, by far, in a way, the most important thing is is having love, close, loving relationships. Happiness is love, full stop. It's what it comes down to. If you're going to know one thing about the science of happiness, it doesn't have to be all the the fancy neuroscience that I that's my stock and trade. It's that happiness is love. Love comes in all kinds of varieties: love of the divine, love of family, love in 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 real friendships, not deal friendships. And we know the difference between real and deal. Yeah. The apex of both friends and family is your is your marriage. Um, how many strivers screw that up? It's just amazing to me. And and love for others as as instantiated in your work, serving other people in your work, lifting other people and bringing them together in your work. Love, 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 and more love is what it comes down to. And that Aspen Grove metaphor that you make is what I talk a lot about in the book because you know you're out there in Colorado in a stand of quaking aspens. And, and what you find is every stand of aspens looks like in magnificent individual trees, you know, strivers. <laughs> what they are is one plant because every stand of aspens is actually one plant with shoots coming out of the same root system. Yeah. And, and what strivers are doing wrong is as they, they get older and older and older and they keep focusing on, fo- on polishing their leaves as opposed to f- cultivating their root systems. I mean, your root system is everything because that's your true health. It's an illusion that you're even an individual in a very real sense. And and and, and living that illusion is going to make you unhealthier and unhealthier and more desiccated and more miserable. And and it, your, your only answer to how to find satisfaction is more of the one thing you're able to do, which is more money, more power, more pleasure, more fame, more Instagram followers, more whatever stupid thing it is. As opposed to looking inward to the faith and the family and friendship and the and the service to others, that is the essence of what your root system is. Ultimately, Arthur, your book, and I want people to hear this, and I shamelessly, you know, of course, promote everyone and their resources that I have on the show. But this one is one. Well, my folks will be hearing me. I got to work through this. I've got to take this because what you're showing me is the hope of a different structure. And yeah, I've naturally been, well, through some hard knocks too, coming to this, you've now just clarified it and defined it for me, but I'm going to have to jump over here and go, okay, that structure that I've been in, I need to, I need to wrap up and I'm going to come over here and to leverage this other opportunity, the second half, well, I'm going to have to adopt a different structure, a different mindset. And this is something to work through. Obviously, you know, get the book strength to strength. Is there another way to engage with you on the strength? Yeah. I mean, all, all of my resources are at arthurbrooks.com. I do a lot of um, YouTube conversations with super strivers who are looking to be happier. 
um, for sure. I, um, I'm, I'm going to have a, a lot of back episodes of podcasts. I'm going to be starting a new podcast in the fall and I have a new book coming out in September um, with Oprah Winfrey that we wrote together called Build the Life You Want, The Art and Science of Getting Happier. So, huh. and, and if you want sort of a day, uh, a weekly infusion of the science of happiness and how you can use it to be happier and lift other people up as well, my column, How to Build a Life in the Atlantic, comes out every Thursday morning. And it's 1,200 words of, you know, this kind of information coming from the cutting-edge science, but in language that, that the human beings can can understand and use. The next part of your book actually goes into spirituality, which I'm going to take that. You hit on, we talked about relationships. You just mentioned health and wellness, and we began talking about achievements, possessions, and whatnot. So to look at how you have been and are cultivating that, that's actually part two of our show. So folks can tune in to that and we'll dig in there. Thank you for what you've done to bring this book to us. Thanks for the time here. And, uh, I've got work to do, and I'm grateful for it. Thanks, Arthur. I've got work to do, too, Kevin. Let's do it together as brothers. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening. I appreciate the work you're doing. Thanks. All right, friends, there is our starting point on this topic. The next episode is, of course, my values and habits episode, where we walk through Arthur's values and the key areas of life and how he walks them out. You can, again, find Arthur's book anywhere from strength to strength finding success, happiness, and a deep purpose in the second half of life. And connect with Arthur at arthurbrooks.com. Thank you for tuning in to the Self-Helpful Podcast, where I strive to help you and me elevate our personal experience and the way we show up for others. Stay driven, my friends. 